Hey, everybody, it's Mark. Welcome or welcome back to the New Spring Church podcast. Hey, at the end of this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to our YouTube channel and download our free New Spring app where you can access all of our recent message content. Actually, the app is the easiest way to share all this content with a friend, and it's the easiest way to keep up with everything going on around here at New Spring. But most importantly, I hope the following presentation inspires you to take your next step in your faith journey. Enjoy. If you want to know what New Spring Church is about, we eat, sleep, drink, breathe, life change. We want people's lives to change. If people's lives aren't changing, there's no reason for us to exist. Well, today's message is one of the most important messages that I'm ever going to bring. And actually, when I consider the times that you and I live in, it may be the single most important message that I ever have, maybe ever will deliver to you. God gave me this message almost six months ago. And I always want to say real quickly, I don't want to freak you out. It wasn't like God handed it down from heaven literally or wrote it in the sky or said anything out loud to me. I don't know how to explain it other than just all of a sudden you'll get this impulse and direction that you know doesn't come from you. You weren't thinking about it. It just, it just comes. And I, I really believe God helps me with every message that I bring from his word. But on, on some occasions, I don't know how else to explain this. It, it's as if the Holy Spirit just says, start writing. And I, I don't know that I've had this happen a whole lot of times. I mean, just context. For those of you who've been here a few years ago, I was flying back from uh, Ohio. Or actually, flying back from uh, middle, middle Ohio, where I've been doing a conference. And Mary Alice and I were sitting on a plane, and all of a sudden, I just had this impulse and I didn't have a legal pad, which I normally start things out on, like you saw in the, in the video. I, I just had my, my iPhone out, and I just started keying. And I was keying the letters as fast as I could to what became a message called Reasons Versus Purpose, which some of you will remember. Um, so I had that feeling the other day, about a little over six months ago. It was just like God said, start writing. And, and I wrote. In fact, if you could, I, I looked at the legal pad. I had it beside my bed. Uh, this morning, and I looked at that legal pad, and it's kind of interesting because at first you can see I'm writing in my typical block letters, and then after a while, I'm scribbling so furiously that the words are almost imperceptible because I was just taking it down as fast as I could. Well, if you can put yourself in my place, I mean, if, if, if God is giving you a message, it's like, well, he must want me to deliver it this weekend. Again, don't want to freak you out. God didn't say anything out loud. It was just a sense of, no, no, it's not time yet. Well, too much information. When Mary Alice and I are together, we're usually in her car. So my car is usually a one-person proposition. Uh, So I just tossed the legal pad in the back seat. And every time I would get in the car, I'd see that yellow legal pad. You know how it is when you handle pieces of paper, and you know we get we have these chemicals and oils in our in our fingers. And if you've handled a piece of paper enough, after a while, the oils in it will actually age the paper. And if you could see that legal pad, you would notice that the bottoms of the pages are curled. You can tell that someone's hands have been on it a lot because time after time, for the last six months, I would read this message and have the question, is it, is it time? Now, one more time, I just want to make sure I don't freak anybody out. I'm not hyper-spiritual. God doesn't talk to me in ways he doesn't talk to other people. It's nothing like that. I just had the sense in this series, God was saying, turn it loose. Turn it loose. And so based on the fact that I work for a boss... I turned it loose this week. Last week in our series DNA, we saw where the church began. The church is not a human organization. It is a living organism. Jesus said, upon this rock, I will build my church. I could ask from time to time, media, media will ask me, 
well, tell me about your church. I think I understand the context, but I want us to understand, even though I've been pastor here 36 years, this is not my church. And on top of that, people will talk about the church as though it belongs to the people. It doesn't. It doesn't belong to me. It doesn't belong to us. It belongs to Jesus. I didn't buy you. I didn't buy your soul. You didn't buy my soul. Jesus bought us on the cross. This church belongs to Jesus Christ. Upon this rock, I will build my church. And then he goes on to say, the gates of Hades, or I love the way the Amplified puts it, the powers of the infernal region, the powers of hell, will not overpower it. Now, right out of the box, that's an exciting promise for me. But it's also a little bit of a caution for us. Because what it does say is that the church is going to be in constant struggle against the powers of hell. If Jesus would say the powers of hell can't overcome it, then I draw from that the inference, the clear inference, that we're always up against the powers of hell. That's why we do series at New Spring. We have an anthology of series that we'll do the third version of this summer called Worlds of Warfare. So we are dealing with the powers of hell. But I have a question for us. What happens when the church and the powers of hell become the same thing? That's a concerning thing because unfortunately a lot of what is called a church today is not a church. I was reading how in a European church, their church is about to take the words husband and wife out of the marriage ceremony. Not only are they thinking about having a ceremony that doesn't include the words husband and wife, they're thinking about banning the words husband and wife. What happens when the church, I put that in quotation marks, what happens when the church and hell become the same thing? What happens when the church and the powers of hell are wearing the same jersey? One thing that can be true, it must be true, it isn't a church anymore. Here's the thing. A church isn't a church because it says it is one. The credentialing of a church does not come from a denomination. The credentialing of a church does not come from a line of succession. The credentialing of a church only comes from Jesus Christ. If Jesus says New Spring Church is not a church, it won't matter if I preach a thousand sermons saying we are. If Jesus says New Spring Church is not a church, we can have our sign out on 21st Street and K96, and we can put up a billboard, but it won't make us a church. But if Jesus says New Spring Church is a church, we are a church of the living God. And only for that reason. You say, Mark, I think that, that, may, that may be a little bit caustic. Listen, our, our source is the word of God. And here's what the word of God says in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. The word of God talks about a group of people that preach another Jesus. Now, it means they use the name Jesus, but they're really preaching someone who isn't Jesus. It's another Jesus. The verse goes on to say they present another Holy Spirit. They use the words Holy Spirit, but it's not the Holy Spirit. It's another spirit. And then the last part of the verse says they preach another gospel. They call it the gospel, but it's another gospel. In other words, 
There's a counterfeit Jesus, there's a counterfeit Holy Spirit, and there's a counterfeit gospel. Well, work with me. Add that up and what do you get? You get a counterfeit church. What's the problem with a counterfeit church? I understand that we live in postmodern America 2021 and and we have people that talk about I have my truth and you have your truth and I have my thoughts and you have your thoughts, which by the way, none of us owns truth. We may have our opinions, but the truth is the, the truth, you know. As I've said to you before, if you're being sworn in in the court, the bailiff doesn't ask you, do you promise to tell your truth? It says, do you, isn't it strange how we have this stupid hypocrisy in our culture? And like bobblehead dolls, you know, we just get thunked and go right along with it. <laughs> what is the problem of a counterfeit church? Well, well, you understand, of course, the problem is they might convince people they were going to heaven when in reality they would open their eyes in hell. And again, someone could say, well, Mark, I think that's a little bit too dark. Well, okay, I want you to hear Jesus' words. This is from the Sermon on the Mount, and directly from Matthew's Gospel, chapter 7, Jesus said, on Judgment Day, and by the way, we do understand the judgment is not going to be held on social media. The judgment is not going to be held in our culture, not even in the United States. It's not going to be held by the media or the university. On Judgment Day, Jesus said, Look at the next word, many. Well, say to me, Lord, Lord. But I will reply, I never knew you. Get away from me, you who break God's laws. That's exactly what I just shared with you. The problem with the counterfeit church is that it, it, it takes trusting people and brings them to the point of judgment and not only hear Jesus say, I don't know you. You got to know a counterfeit Jesus. You, you, you talked about a counterfeit Holy Spirit. You, 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 you trusted a counterfeit gospel. Well, we live in the last days, and I know what Bible prophecy says. I mean, I know we're in the zone. I don't know when Jesus is coming, but I know the world is headed for the tribulation and the Antichrist. Unfortunately, Jesus is coming first, and we've talked about that during Clash of Dynasties. And I can't stop that, and you can't stop that, and New Spring Church can't stop that. We, we are headed where we are headed as a culture, and I can't stop that juggernaut as this world heads toward the tribulation. But my prayer is that New Spring Church can be part of the Underground Railroad and help as many people as we can to experience God's freedom and grace and forgiveness. So how do we do that? Well, let's go back last week and we'll see what credentials a real church. In the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 18, I gave this to you last week. If you weren't here to hear the message, you might just, you know, um, listen to that when you get a chance. God has given us the task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he, number two, gave us the message of reconciliation. So we saw last week, God is into reconciliation. You know what reconciliation is. If you've got two friends that five, you know, have some kind of problem and they don't speak to each other, but you love them both, and you go talk to both of them and you try to help them see the other person's perspective, and maybe even you, you know, invite them out, both out for dinner. You know, they're not getting together, but you get them together, and then you know, through your work, they, they get to be friends again. That's reconciliation. And the Bible tells us the problem with this world is there's a breakage of the relationship between humans and God because of sin. But through Jesus Christ, God made a way for broken, flawed, sinful people to get back together with God. 
And so here's what the church is. I mean, God gave us two things. It's real simple. I'm glad because I have ADD. I don't do well with lists. God has given us the ministry of reconciliation, and he's given us the message. Last week, I talked about the ministry. Today, I want to talk about the message of reconciliation. New Spring, what is the message of reconciliation? Hey, you saw what I saw. You saw what Jesus had to say about the judgment. I mean, we have to get this right. The last thing in the world we want to do is to get someone to the judgment only to have Jesus say, I don't know you. We've got to get this message of reconciliation right. So where would we go in the Bible to find it? Well, just about all over. In fact, the Bible is the story of reconciliation. But there's one story that Jesus told that is all about reconciliation. It's in the Gospel of Luke chapter 15. Jesus well, let's back up for just a moment. Jesus is being criticized. He's being ripped. And the reason he's being criticized, well, he's being criticized from the most religious elite crowd. And they say something about Jesus that I think is one of the highest compliments they ever pay him. In Luke chapter 15, they said, this man receives sinners. Well, thank God he does, right? So Jesus tells them three stories about three lost things. He tells him about a shepherd who loses a sheep. He has a hundred and he loses one. He goes to find that lost sheep. And when he finds it, he comes back and he has a party and invites all his friends. Then he tells about a woman who has 10 coins. Now, it's not that she had 10 dimes. No, it's not like that at all. These coins were her dowry. These, these coins had to do with her. Oh, I wish I had time to preach this. Her identity, see, that was her identity. See, sin will make you like the lost sheep and leave where you're helped. And he'll also, sin will also make you lose your identity. And she sweeps the house until she finds the coin that's missing. And when she finds it, she invites all her friends to come over and they have a party. And then Jesus tells the story of a lost son, a lost boy. A lost sheep, a lost coin, a lost boy. Now I want to get into that story of the lost son because that's the story of reconciliation. There was a well-to-do farmer who has two boys. And the younger of them doesn't like living at home. He doesn't like the lifestyle of the father. And he wants to get away. Okay? Time out. The father in the story represents God. The kid that's bad to the bone, he represents you and me. I won't laugh on my terms. That's what we all do. That is what takes us away from God. And so this kid said to his dad, I don't want to wait till you die to give me your inheritance. I want you to give it to me now. Whoa. You know, he's lucky his dad didn't just zap him right there and leave a brown spot on the ground. But showing the kindness of God, the father actually gives him his inheritance, which is one-third of his wealth. And the kid goes as far as he could get away from home, and he blows up his life and runs through his money with the party lifestyle. And we read in the book he's sleeping with prostitutes and getting high and getting stoned and partying. And you know what happens. I mean, the kid doesn't respect money, didn't earn it. He blows through the entire inheritance, and he's dirt poor. And he sets out to get a job, but he sets out to get a job in the time of a tanked economy. And the only job he can get is feeding hogs for a farmer. Now, Jesus' audience is Jewish. For those of us who are not Jewish, that's bad enough. I mean, if you've ever fed hogs, if you've ever slopped hogs, as we say in Texas, if you've ever slopped hogs, that's a bad job for anybody. But for a good Jewish boy, they don't eat pork. I mean, when Jesus said this, there were people who fainted in the crowd. I don't know about that. (laughs) 
And this kid got so hungry. Now, I grew up in the city in Fort Worth, but my grandfather was a farmer in South Texas. And so I slopped hogs with him a few times. I, I, I have a hard time reading this. The kid got so hungry, and the farmer wouldn't pay him, that the kid almost dipped his hand into the slop and ate a handful of slop. And while he had that handful of slop, he looked at it, and he started thinking, like some of us did one time. You know... Back at my father's house, everybody there's got plenty to eat. I mean, even the hired hands have all they can eat and more. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to throw this slop back down. And I'm going to get up and I'm going to go to my father. And I'm going to say, Dad, I've sinned against heaven and before you. And I'm no longer entitled to be your son. Just take me any way you'll take me. Just make me a hired hand. But the father saw him coming a long way off. And when he saw him coming, he ran to throw his arms around him. And the boy tried to get his speech out. Dad, I'm sorry. I've sinned against heaven and you. And I'm no longer worthy to be a son. Just make me a hired hand. But the father said, bring out the best. That's grace. Bring out the best. Bring out the best robe. Bring shoes for his feet. Put that family signet ring on his finger, which signifies that he's not an outsider, but he's part of the family. And that fattened calf out there, we're going to have a, now I'm from Texas, we're going to have a barbecue tonight. <laughs> now summed up, that is the message of reconciliation. Amen. That sinners don't have to go to hell. <laughs> if they will own up to their spiritual bankruptcy and come home to God and experience grace on God's terms. Or if we were to use Jesus' language, here's the message of reconciliation. You leave the hog pen, you come home, there's a party, in that order. You leave the hog pen, you come home, you have a party. That's what's supposed to happen. And when that happens, just like the stories you've heard, and they've been all weekend at all of our services, We've heard, I wish you could hear all the stories of those who went public with their faith. That's the story of people being made new. Not improved, but new. See, a few moments ago, I read to you that what makes a church a real church is that Jesus has given to us the ministry of reconciliation and the message of reconciliation. That's, that's in 2 Corinthians 5.21, but this whole discussion goes back to verse 17. Verse 17 says, anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone and a new life has begun. You leave the hog pen, you come home, there's a party. Now, although I see this a lot at New Spring, it's just our culture, it's who we are. I gotta tell you, I'm not trying to be judgmental, I'm, I'm just being straight with you. I'm, I'm noticing that it's getting kind of rare in American Christianity, so-called. In fact, the messaging of a lot of churches can't be distinguished very much from the hog pen. It's kind of getting hard to tell the difference between what the cure is and the disease is because there's a, there's a problem in the messaging. It, it, it doesn't bring the lost person home. It, something strange. So what's wrong? Is there something wrong with God? I mean, is, 
God like, okay, I'm sorry, I've run out of saving power. I had a lot of it, but you know, the one billionth person got saved and that's it. Grace is finished. No, no, no. Hebrews 7.25 says he's able to save completely all who come to God through him. So God's got plenty of salvation. That's not the problem there. Well, do we, do we have a particularly bad group of sinners in our, in our world today and they're just too bad for God to save? Well, Romans 10.13 says anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And just so, I know this is going to sound a whole lot like the last verse, but it's got a little subtle distinction. I want you to pick up on it. When Peter's preaching at Pentecost, he quotes the prophet Joel, and he said, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Those two statements sound alike, but they're, they're kind of different when you think about it. Anyone who calls on the name of the Lord, that means you. That means you. That's a personal one-person one message. Anyone who calls on the name of the Lord. And then the second one's collective. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So if the problem is not with God, he's got plenty of salvation. The problem is not that we have especially a bad group of sinners. Where's the problem? I mean, why aren't we just seeing this all over American Christianity? Well, if it's not God and it's not sinners, it's got to be the church. We got to be, I don't mean New Spring necessarily, I'm just talking about generically, we got to be getting something wrong. And thankfully, we don't have to look very far. And here's the thing, if it's the message of reconciliation that makes a difference, and it is the message, see, because going to heaven is not joining a church, it's not performing good works, it has to do with the, has everything to do with the message. Faith is how you make a connection with God, and listen to this, faith comes by hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word of God. So the message is what does the work when we put faith in it, so if it's not working, there's got to be a problem with the message. The church has got to be doing something that garbles the message. Like I said, a little over six months ago, I had the strong impulse of the Holy Spirit. And again, please, I don't want to freak you out. I don't want anybody to leave saying, well, Mark says God talks to him. No, that's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying strong impulse. And I wasn't even thinking about this. It was as if the Holy Spirit said, the problem is here. And instantly I was taken to the little one chapter book of Jude. Have you ever read that book? Hey, Jude. It's the book right before Revelation, one chapter. Jude is the... Half-brother of Jesus. And so Jude is writing to the church. Now I want you to just watch this in verse 3. He said, dear friends, although I've been eager to write to you about our common salvation, I now feel compelled instead. Time out. Make sure we understand what he's saying. Jude was like, I've been wanting to write to you about how wonderful it is to be saved. But i got to stop. Because there's a problem there's a confusion about what it means to be saved. And I got to make sure that before I start talking about how great it is to be saved, I got to make sure that even though people use our vocabulary, it's really important to make sure they use our dictionary. Now let's read this. Dear friends, although I've been eager to write to you about our common salvation, I now feel compelled instead to write to you and encourage you to contend earnestly for the faith that was once entrusted to the saints. For certain men have secretly slipped in among you, men who long ago were marked down for condemnation, who have, heads up, turned the grace of our God into a license for evil. 
Now, let's just slow down for a moment to make sure that we understand this. The word turn there means to change it from something it was to something it isn't. Now, we know what grace is. We'll talk about that in just a moment. Grace means we can come and be forgiven of everything we've ever done wrong or ever will do wrong. You remember a few moments ago I talked about the counterfeit Jesus and the counterfeit gospel and the counterfeit, and I said they present the language, but the message is not the same. This is what Jude is talking about. He said they use, they use the word grace and they talk about salvation, but really when it gets right down to it, they've, they've changed grace from what it was into something that it isn't. Now, if we hear this on the surface, we could say, okay, I think I kind of understand it. Because it's like, it's like this gradient scale where on one end, it's grace, and on the other end, it's license. And so somehow, grace can get so devalued that it actually gets into the zone of license. It's not at all what he's saying. He's like, grace and license don't have anything in common with each other. It is like... Somehow people heard the message that you could be forgiven of any sin and they decided that that means that sin is okay. And that's not grace. Let's talk about license for a moment. What does it mean to get a license? When you get a license, something that was illegal is not illegal anymore. Something you couldn't do before, you can now do. Hey, I have a fishing license. That means I couldn't fish before I got one. Now I can. I have a hunting license. It meant if I tried to hunt without a hunting license, game warden came along, I'd get arrested. But now I can hunt in prescribed situations. I have a driver's license. Before I had a driver's license, couldn't drive legally. Can now. I got a marriage license. You have to have a license to do anything dangerous, right? No. <laughs> I didn't even say that in the other services. Why do I do that at 1115? It's you guys. That's what it is. Uh, that's what license is. It means you can do something you couldn't do. And so evidently what happens is that some, and, and some people have heard the message of grace and they said, oh, it means I can do anything I want to do. And Jude said, I, I wanted to write to you about salvation, because I, but I can't because some are using the term saved and grace, but what they really mean is now they have a license to sin. New Spring, never forget, for the last 20 centuries, Satan has tried to do everything he can to garble the message of grace. And he, he, he's done it with two primary messages. One is legalism. Legalism says these are man-made rules, and if you jump through these hoops, that you can be part of our group. But the other is license, and legalism and license, neither one is grace. You remember how we started the message with the message of the prodigal son? You leave home, you leave the hog pen, you come home, there's a party. You know what the problem with legalism is? You leave the hog pen and come home, there's no party. How many of you, I mean, don't raise your hand, but how many of you have been in a church like that? I mean, you left the hog pen, you came to Christ, but man, you still gotta do all these man-made rules. The message of license says, I stay in the hog pen and the party comes to me. Now it's time for me to be real with you. I grew up in the age of legalism, and it's awful. But being real with you, I'm not sure I see a lot of it today. 
I hear a lot of sermons about it. I guess I preached one last week. I hear a lot of sermons about it. I hear a lot of songs about it. But between you and me, it's almost kind of like beating a dead horse because I don't see. The American church is not into legalism today. And one of the reasons is that baby boomers are now the old people. You know, old people are the ones that tend to be a little bit more disciplined about life, and they tell young people, you know, you need to get your life straightened out. Well, old people used to do that, but the problem with old people today is old people are baby boomers. And we wrote the book on <laughs> doing whatever you want to do. I mean, I'm not, I'm not being funny. I, I have young adults in their early 20s come to me and say, Mark, can you... Help me get my grandmother off drugs. Grandmother's my age. She's a baby boomer. So because that's the case, I I don't know that I, I mean, I still see some, but I don't see a whole lot of legalism today. Frankly, the messaging I hear from many churches is stay in the hog pen and the party will come to you. And that gets presented as grace. Now I understand why it's popular. Because churches that proclaim that message are considered to be inclusive, but they're not inclusive. And all they do is create an HOV lane to hell. And it's cosmically cruel. You heard what Jesus said about the judgment. I mean, that would be enough for, to prove the statement that it's cosmically cruel to do that. But there are two more reasons why it's cosmically cruel to say, stay in the hog pen and the party will come to you. Every broken person who's come to Christ, I want to ask you a question. What does a broken person need more than anything else? What does a sinner need more than anything? You need power. So that's the problem with religion. You know you should live a changed life, but you don't have the power to do it. And you try and you, you, know, you fell, and, and I've done that too. I know what it's like. There's just not the power there. There's not the, there's not the strength to do it. And when we bring the party to the hog pen, we swindle people out of power steps. See, when I look at the story of the prodigal son, I see power steps. Not legalistic power steps like do these things and you can hope for this outcome. But I'm just talking about there are power steps that lead him into a changed life. And let's look at them real quickly. Power step number one, I will arise and go to my father. I'll get up. I was made for something better than this hog pen. So I'm not going to sit here and wallow in the filth and talk about the bad decisions I've made, I will get up and I will go home. That's power step number one. Power step number two, I will say to my father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm taking responsibility. I'm I'm stopping blame. I'm not going to blame my parents anymore. I'm not going to blame my teachers anymore. I'm not going to blame the people in my life anymore. They may have contributed to some of the problem, but I'm going to take personal responsibility. I am a sinner. And power step number three, I no longer see myself as worthy. The word worthy there means entitled. I'm going to go home and I'm going to tell my dad, I'm not entitled anymore. Thought I was entitled, but I don't think I am anymore. That's power step number three. Power step number four, make me a servant. I just want to come. I'm just happy to come home any way I can come home. Now I'm telling you, when that happens, there will be a party. You'll have the party of grace in your life. And there will be power because those are power steps. Those are steps that lead to a changed life where the power of God is suddenly infused in your person. 
But as I said a few moments ago, when we try to bring the party to the hog pen or put the party halfway between the hog pen, which is what a lot of churches try to do because what happens at that point, the prodigal son will just commute back and forth between the party and back to the hog pen. But when we bring the party to the hog pen, all those power steps are neutralized by maybe comfortable but empty, impotent, worthless substitutes that will achieve absolutely nothing, which explains the powerless American church. Instead of I will arise and go to my father, it is I will stay here and hope I can make my hog pen a better place. Instead of I will say I have sinned to I may need to improve some of my choices, but I basically think I'm okay. Instead of I'm not entitled to, I am too entitled. Make me a servant, change to what you offer better make me feel good about myself. Someone, and and I know our current culture, someone could say, well, Mark, I think we should be I think we should be open enough to accept these statements because times have changed. Well, I had, you know, I, I said this at 9.30 and I corrected myself and I'm about to do it again. I don't think times have changed. I was waking up this morning thinking about what's accepted today. It's the same thing as the Canaanite culture. It's the same thing as the Roman culture. It's the same thing as the Greek culture as it was going in, in, in as it was diminishing. It's the same thing. It's just the same old thing coming back around again. There's nothing new about this culture and what's happening today and the thoughts. So, so I guess maybe on, on its face, I might hand you times have changed, but the message of reconciliation has not changed. So it's cosmically cruel because it, it negates the power steps. Number two, bringing the party to the hog pen not only swindles people out of power steps, it robs people from experiencing the riches of real grace. See, the problem with the message of license is that people never experience real grace. If a person says, I want a better hog pen, they'll never know the joy of moving into the father's house and becoming part of the family. If a person says, I don't see myself as a sinner, they'll never know what it feels like to be truly forgiven and innocent and free. If they say, I am worthy, they will never know what it's like to have the perfect, sinless, spotless record of Jesus Christ placed under our account and through Christ know what it actually is to be really worthy in him. And if a person doesn't say to God, I just want to be a servant, they will never know what it means to be a full-fledged, totally credentialed, family signet ring-wearing son or daughter of the living God. This is the message of reconciliation. Real, not a cheap substitute. It has been my heart to make sure I communicate this message clearly. Someone could say, Mark, I'm still struggling a little bit with the distinction between grace and license. Are you saying that I need to fix my life up before God will accept me? That is the last thing I'm saying. I'm saying we need to be clear on what our problem is. Because here's the thing. The message of reconciliation says Jesus died to pay for sin. In fact, when Jesus was being named and the angel visited Joseph, 
The angel said his name will be called Jesus because he will save his people from their sin. I think some people in, in the, when grace gets changed to license, their idea is Jesus came to save us from hell. And that's technically true by extension, but that's not why he came. He came to save us from sin. And if I feel like sin is okay, I've got this strange, incongruous, incoherent thought in my head. I am asking Jesus to save me from something I think is okay. And when I'm praying, asking God to save me, what I'm really doing is flipping God off with both hands. You and I live in an age in which we are being told over and over, and I know Satan is the one doing it because he wants to do anything to keep people from being saved. We are getting told over and over what God says is sin is not sin. And so when grace is changed to license, the message of this is you don't have to worry about this anymore because this is not sin. Well, all of us are sinners, and any sin anybody can think of, I'm sure before this group is all finished, we've committed all of them. And so here's the thing, God will forgive us all of anything we've ever done, but what he won't take, what he won't accept is if I come to God and I flip off Jesus Christ and I basically say the reason why you died I don't think is a problem. And I can pray a thousand prayers and nothing is going to change in my heart and life because that is a counterfeit gospel. You want to come to God? You know, so here, you know, here's the thing. Here's what I, I fear. I fear sometimes when I, I say something that it's heard through the context of 21st century America. It's like when I say we're sinners, I, I think someone may hear, well, you know, we all make mistakes. It's not the same thing. Leaving the milk out overnight is a mistake. Sin is cosmically violating the holiness of God. You know, well, we're not perfect. Well, yeah, of course not. No, 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 no. If I come to Jesus Christ, I must recognize I am a broken, flawed sinner. If you want to know what your sin is like, by use your imagination and walk up to Calvary's Hill. I was in Jerusalem a couple years ago, and they, they showed me what they believe is the place where Jesus was crucified. I don't know for sure, but I thought about it. I mean, here's the thing. If you want to know what your sin is like, you look at them stretch out Jesus' left hand on the cross, and you see them put a spike there in his wrist, and you listen to that hammer as it comes down time and time. Listen to that metal clank as that hammer falls on that spike and watch the hand of Jesus flinch and look at his mouth as he doesn't say anything. Then you watch him as they stretch out his right hand, and, they, and then when that hammer falls, on that now, he's paying for your sin. That's not a mistake. He's not paying for leaving the milk out overnight. He's paying the price for our lust and our greed and our selfishness and our stubbornness and our misuse of people. You watch as they swing one of his legs over the other and they drive a spike through the tender part of both ankles. And then you watch as they pull that cross up and that cross jolts into the hole and the body weight of Jesus begins to pull against those nails. And for six hours, he's going to have to pull up against those nails and push off against the nails with his feet to draw every breath of air. That is what our sin is. My sin put him there. And when I see that, and I own up to it, and I say, God, I am a sinner, and I owe a debt I can't pay, 
and I declare spiritual bankruptcy, and I'll say, I want to get up. You know, the thing, the, 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 the step home, think about the prodigal son. He said, you know, the hogs, they belong here, and the mud, it belongs here, and the slop, it belongs here. Me, I don't. Is there anybody who feels that today, watching here online, North Auditorium? You might even still be in the hard pen of, of your sins right now, but it's like, I don't belong here. I was made to be a daughter of God. I was made for something better than this. I was made to be a son of the living God. I don't belong in this hard pen. I don't want this stench on me anymore. I'm going to get up and I'm going to go home to my father and I'm going to say, Father, I have sinned and I'm no longer entitled. And that's when the father will say my favorite lines from the story of the prodigal son, bring out the best, bring out the best. There's nothing good in the pig pen. There's nothing good in the hog pen. Grace lets flawed, broken sinners taste the best of life in eternity. Mm. I want to close out this service the way I close out just about all of it in New Spring. I want to give anyone a chance to invite Jesus Christ into your life. Remember this, anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord, that's you. That's me. Listen to me, please. The gospel doesn't ask you to pay for your sin. The gospel doesn't ask you to undo it. It just asks you to come and be honest about who you are and accept who Jesus is. And if you're ready to do that, some of us have understood the gospel for the first time. And here's the thing. Here's the thing. The Holy Spirit told me one more thing. I was backing my car out this morning on my driveway, and the Holy Spirit let me know, for some, this will be the last time they ever walk into New Spring. Because this message is so culturally unpopular. And if that could be you, if I could get on my knees today and plead with you before you walk away, before you before you legitimately give up on your eternal soul, please, just one more time, Jesus loved you. He died on the cross to pay for your sins. He has an offer on the table. And if you will get rid of that stubborn, selfish, self, selfish pride that is putting you right where you are, if you will get rid of that, you will find the smiling face of God who will say, bring out the best. She's never had the best before. Bring out the best for her. He's never known the best. Bring out the best for him. And God will do that for you right now. Let's pray. You pray with me if you want to. You can pray silently. You don't have to pray out loud. Dear God, I am a sinner and I can't fix myself. I believe Jesus died to pay for my sins. And I believe he arose from the grave. And since Jesus is alive, I want Jesus to be my savior and king. As much as I can, I bring everything that I am and give it to all that I know about you. Thank you for hearing my prayer. Thank you for saving me. And thank you for making me God's child. In Jesus' name, amen. If you just pray with me, if you're anywhere on our campus, all you have to do... I have a gift box I want to give you. There's a New Spring Bible just like I preach from. You may still even have some questions. I wrote a little book. ADD people don't write long books. It's got a lot of pictures in it. 
<laughs> I wrote a book called My New Walk with God to answer a lot of questions. There's a journal in here. I promise you, no, no hidden agenda. If you'll just go back to any info center and say, I pray with Mark, they'll give you this. You can take it home with you. We just want to take your first steps walking with you. It's totally free. I promise you, no one will hassle you. I mean, they'll talk to you if you, if you want to talk to them, but they just want to give this to you, okay? If you're watching online, all you have to do, or watching on television, all you have to do is text the word PRAYED, P-R-A-Y-E-D, PRAYED, to 97,000. And we'll get the information to get this out to you. And we'll get it out to you, God willing, this week. Love you guys very much. Thank you. We'll see you next weekend. Once again, thanks for listening. If you live in Wichita, the surrounding area, we'd love for you to engage with us in one of our weekend services. For directions, service times, and information about our incredible kids and student environments, visit us at newspring.org. One more time, newspring.org.